Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, that's right. It is time for the last Halloween special of the spooky month, which makes me very sad, but this is good and this is going to inspire you for the end of spooky season. This is released a few days before Halloween, so I will say happy Halloween now. Oh, I just love those words. Happy Halloween. For these stories, I would like you to close your eyes or turn off your lights, maybe light a single candle, get into a dark, spooky environment, better yet, lay in bed in the dark, and I'm going to take you on a spooky story adventure. I asked and I received. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted their stories to me and gave me permission to use them. Thank you. I ha- I have quite a few. I-, I have a few stories to read to you. Some real, some fiction, some long, some short, but they're all spooky. I will let you know if they are fact or fiction before reading them. Also, the author's name or Reddit username uh, that they would like their story to be credited to. I'm going to start off with a short true story by Lucy Ray. Thank you, Lucy, for allowing me to read your experience. Here we go. When I was 13, I saw something. I cannot explain and recent events have brought it back to light. It happened while I was in my house. I saw it outside my window. Now, my bathroom has a narrow window right above the shower. So when you're in the shower, you can look outside and see the top of the trees. So it's a tall window, 10 feet above the ground. It was dark outside and I was the only one home. My parents were at work and my sister was with a friend. I washed my hair and looked out the window and saw a man looking back at me, no shirt. It looked like my stepdad, but not exactly. I was terrified and couldn't move. I made eye contact with it, and it smiled a horrible, creepy smile. Like ear-to-ear smile. And its eyes weren't normal. They were smaller and rounder than an actual person's eyes. It smiled at me, tilted its head, and walked away. I've never seen it again. This is a true story. Lucy, it sounds like you might have had a face-to-face encounter with Slenderman or Shadow Man or a demon or something of that nature. Sounds absolutely terrifying, and I'm glad you haven't seen it again. I had a thought, though, actually, about this, and please feel free to DM me. Uh, But since you saw it in the window, could it have actually been in the house in the same room with you just behind you and you were actually looking at its reflection and it just appeared to be outside because you were looking at it in the window you didn't realize it was a reflection you thought it was outside but really it was right behind you oh that is so scary I I got chills up my spine thinking about that thinking that something could have been standing behind you and you were looking at its reflection in the window 
very spooky. Uh, Again, Lucy, thank you so much for your submission. The next short story is fiction by Reddit user letterhead underscore mean, titled Voyeur. Do you ever get the feeling you are being watched? Well, I'm the one who watches. You live alone. It's easy to follow you. I watch when you are preparing dinner. I admire that new knife set you bought this week. I see when you are in bed. I'm there during your most intimate moments. You brought home someone last weekend. I didn't like them. It bothered me that you were looking over your shoulder less. Be honest, you enjoyed cooking them dinner. I could tell as you sharpened the chef knife you formerly owned. You knew that you never needed them. They were nothing but another victim of your cruel game. Another sucker for love. I saw what you did to them. You believe you are clever, as if no one knows your secrets. But I do. You were careful, tender, and cautious. They trusted you as you led them into your bedroom. I never close my eyes. Following every moment, I watched them get closer to you. The moon is a spotlight on your favorite stage, and I am a one-man audience to your performance. I watched you get on top of them. The energy crescendoed as the moonlight struck and revealed what you've been hiding from the world. Did you enjoy it? I don't hear. I only see. I don't know the sound they made when you drove that old chef knife into their chest. Now that I think of it, I don't remember the sound I made either. Every detail, every article, every base covered. You know you will get away with it. Yet you still look over your shoulder. And I'll be there, waiting, watching, yours truly, Voyeur. Ooh, okay. That was a great creepy short story. Thank you so much, Letterhead underscore Mean, for that slice of spooky. I love the concept of that story so much, and I really enjoyed reading that. The next story I'm going to read is by Marcus Starr. It is fiction as well, and it's titled, Help, I'm Receiving Text Messages from Dead People. My new phone works great. No problems there. Holding it, feeling its limitless possibilities within my fingertips is simply sublime. You know that feeling, right? That new phone feeling? I'd be the envy of all my friends, if I had any. Keeping my old phone as backup was a terrible mistake. You see, both of my parents died last year. It was tragic. A couple months later, my best friend, and only, friend David, dropped dead while jogging heart attack. He was 36 and strong as an ox. Strange times indeed. I became numb. Buying a shiny new phone seemed a healthy distraction from the drudgeries of everyday life. I spent day and night setting it up, discovering its seemingly limitless possibilities. For the first time in years, it felt good to be alive. Life was getting back to normal. Until my old phone started receiving text messages from the dead. Ding. 
My old phone lit up suddenly. Message arrived. That's impossible. The SIM card was removed. The phone was disengaged. Yet, like a ghost in a graveyard, my father's number appeared. I read his text aloud. I wish I hadn't. See you soon, Danny boy. The room chilled. Drops of ice dripped down my spine. My father never used his cell phone, even when he was alive. This was literally his first text, and he's dead. My fingers quivered across the screen, searching for a response that never came. Must be a scam, I said boorishly, shaking my head in bewilderment. The phone returned to the junk drawer, and I went about my Sunday business. Except my mind kept returning to the phone. Clearly it was hacked. Someone was fishing me. But how? If only David was here, he'd know what to do. I was flooded with grief. My family was gone and I was all alone. Yes, I had some work friends, but outside of work, they were merely acquaintances. Ding. My heart fell to the floor. My mouth, desert dry. Message arrived. I read the message expecting my deceased father to be announcing his arrival, except that's not what happened. Still, his message shocked me to the core. You are dead. Those words danced like daggers around my brain. Reality shattered. Paranoia nestled in nicely. A sickly feeling was stirring in the pit of my stomach. I was shaking profusely. Reluctantly, I dropped the phone and retreated to the basement where I binge-watched Peaky Blinders and drank copious amounts of alcohol. Now I know what you're thinking. Why didn't I throw out the stupid phone? And that's a fair question, but logic rarely arrives under duress. I've cherished that old phone for years. Letting go wasn't easy. Besides, texts from dead people are creepy, but they can't hurt me, right? Friday arrived like a bad habit. The hectic work week stole most of my attention. There was little to no time left worrying about haunted text messages from my dead father. I tried my best to ignore it. The following Sunday left me fatally exhausted and unprepared for what would come next. Ding, ding, ding. I could hear the phone buzzing from the basement, which was odd since it was on silent mode. Not only that, but its batteries were as dead as my parents. There's no way that phone should be receiving texts, SIM card or no SIM card. Like a soon-to-be-dead person in a horror flick marching toward their inevitable demise, I crept across the creaking floors towards the junk drawer and retrieved the wretched old phone. With eyes like razor blades, I read the newly arrived messages. They were all from one source, my dead mother. Tears rolled down my cheeks as I read her messages. Danny, is that you? Pops is sick. Please help. This can't be happening, I cried. This can't be real. Except it was. Real as rain, as my mother would say. Only my immediate family called my father Pops. This had to be real. That night, I cried myself into a coma until the darkness washed over me and I succumbed to sleep. Sometime in the middle of the night, I was jolted awake. Ding. I screamed bloody murder. Beside me, beaming from the bedside table, 
was my old phone, which was odd considering I don't remember leaving it there. Message arrived. Pops's number appeared. I tapped the serrated screen and his newly arrived message appeared. Erhe noao daid la era u. I shook my head, rubbing my weary eyes. The words were jumbled, making no sense whatsoever. I said a silent prayer, longing for the return of my sanity. Then I spied the message via the bedside mirror and cringed. Those wicked words came to life. We are all dead down here. I stared at my phone for what seemed an eternity, feeling sick all over. Ding. My heart exploded. Was this nightmare ever going to end? See you soon, Danny boy. Anger came swiftly. Something inside me snapped. I jumped out of bed and stomped the phone into a million pieces, reveling in its destruction. Then I tossed its shattered remains into the trash bin. Good riddance to bad rubbish, as my mother would say. Life has been cursed ever since. The next day, my alarm failed to wake me up, and I was late for work. Later that week, I got a flat tire and was again late for work. The entire week was teeming with catastrophes. I couldn't focus. My stress level was through the roof. My sanity was hanging off a cliff. Work put me on probation. One more mishap and I'd be unemployed. Sunday was me day, a day of relaxation. Beer and baseball, pizza and chicken wings, just like old times. The beer was refreshing and went down easy. The couch was a reliable friend and welcomed me with seated cushions. Better yet, the Blue Jays were whooping the Yanks into oblivion. Things were looking up for the first time in weeks. Then came a knock at the door. I live in a remote suburban neighborhood with a no soliciting sign parked out front. Nobody comes to the door, not since my loved ones passed away. Hold your friggin' horses, I shouted loud enough to be heard. As I inched toward the door, my legs felt like weighted stones, dragging me into the depths of hell. Something bad was lurking outside my front door. I just knew it. I couldn't believe it. Who would be so rude? From downstairs, the announcers were throwing a tantrum. The Yankees hit a grand slam. Tie. Game. The door swung open. My hands crunched into fists. Nobody was there. I swore like a trucker on amphetamines. Someone was screwing with me. Someone or something, and I didn't appreciate it. On my way inside, I spotted something poking out of the mailbox. My old phone. Suddenly, the world stopped moving. The air turned thick and stale. Was someone watching me? Probably, yes. I imagined myself being part of some unholy prank committed by God knows who for reasons I don't understand. By now, I was submerged in a dreadful mix of loneliness and paranoia. Oh, how I pined for my loved ones, someone to confide in. Cautiously, I reached into the mailbox. My old phone was haphazardly glued together, like, like the phone of Frankenstein. Gretel, my nosy neighbor, strolled by walking her dog. She was giving me a cynical look. I was about to ask her if she'd seen anyone prowling about when her measly mutt spotted a squirrel and shot off like a firecracker and she disappeared 
down the sidewalk without a second glance. Soon, I was back on the couch, cold beer in my hand, watching the Blue Jays boil their lead. Damn Yankees. I drank. The alcohol was keeping me cool, for the time being at least. All the while, my eyes kept darting towards the old phone, daring it to ding. I didn't wait long. Ding. My mother's name appeared. Danny, please help. Grief swept through me like a river of despair. I was completely unhinged. If I had a pistol, I'd put it in my mouth. And all this would be over. As the final score appeared on the TV, 8-7, Yankees win. An idea sprung to mind. It was stupid and dangerous, but that never stopped me before. Besides, it just might work. I clicked reply. Hi, mom, how are you? For an eternity, I stared at the screen, afraid of what would come next. Ding. Her response was disturbingly brief. Beware. A bomb went off inside my brain. I lost all control. I began bawling my eyes out, not even realizing it. Treacherously, I typed, Beware what? Ding. Death. She was saying everything and nothing at all. Time to change gears. How is Pops? Sorrow as deep as a well seeped into my soul. Nothing could have prepared me for what came next. Ding. It's not every day your dead mother sends warnings from beyond the grave, but I was skeptical. You see, my parents died in a horrific car crash while I was driving. Although I left the scene unscathed, my parents perished, watching my father's head roll onto the snow-crusted highway, only to be run over by a transport truck, still haunts my dreams. I can't rid myself of that awful image, no matter how hard I try. My mother died next to me, blood leaking from every orifice of her battered body. Pops is mad at you. With shaky movements, I quickly responded, tell Pops I'm sorry. All night, I waited for her response. Eventually, after finishing off two six-packs of Coors Banquet, I slept only to have my bazaar of broken dreams come grinding to a halt sometime in the dead of night. Ding! Wearily, I crawled toward the old phone, whimpering like a dirty dog. Join us. My mother's malignant message put me over the edge, two words that stole my breath. Shaking the very foundations of my soul, I wanted to weep, but the river of tears was dry. I wanted to smash the disconsolate device into a million pieces, but I'd already done that. I was at a crossroads. Oh, how I longed for David. He'd know what to do. Then why don't you call him? My heart stopped. Where did that voice come from? Maybe it came from me. Or maybe my house was haunted. This would certainly explain a lot. Either way, the voice was right, and I knew it. Using the battered phone, I called David. Not sure what, if anything, would happen, it went straight to his voicemail. I leaned in, not wanting to miss a word. I can't come to the phone right now, David said somberly. I'm dead. Danny, if that's you, hang pictures of your parents around the house and give them offerings. You must make offerings to the dead once a day. Click. David's voice lingered long in my mind's eye. Offerings of what? Ding. 
David's follow-up text appeared without words, just emojis of food and drink, hearts and flowers. Too scared to reply, I said a silent prayer thanking him. Then I retrieved a box of family photos from the storage bin in the garage and placed them strategically throughout my home, putting one in each room. These were my mother's pictures. She'd kept every photograph, test, trophy, you name it, from my childhood. The following week was spent collecting food and flowers for my offerings. I left them close to their respected pictures each night before bed. I even left some for David, whom I owned a lifetime of gratitude. It worked. Unfortunately, my laziness knows no bounds. It wasn't long before my offerings became less frequent. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. My dead parents were not impressed. Apparently the dead are irascible. My dead mother's latest text arrived like a bad dream. Join us, Danny. You are already dead. I've stopped fighting her. Maybe she's right. Maybe I am dead. Maybe I died in the accident after all. What exactly is death anyway? Does anyone know? Asking for a friend. Surely I'm not the only person receiving messages from dead loved ones. I shudder at the thought. Anyone out there with similar experiences? I'd like to hear them. We can swap stories. The dead are relentless in their quest at being heard. I've learned this and they will stop at nothing to get what they want. And what do they want, you ask? To be heard and for us to join them in the great beyond. So I keep my old phone with me at all times. My dead parents told me to, and I'm afraid of disobeying them. What will become of that insidious device? Only time will tell, or should I say, only time will text. Ding. Thank you, Marcus, for that haunting tale. Perhaps a sequel for this is on the way? Let me know if so. That was great. All right, so this next story is by uh, Reddit user Dark Winchester, and uh, he is responsible for this story titled, I'm convinced my dog has started to hate me or a demon possessed him. My boyfriend brought me in a dash hound puppy. The Dachshund was so adorable. My boyfriend had always wanted a dog, but his parents wouldn't let him have one. So he got a dog as an adult. The first year was challenging. The puppy was wild, hyperactive, biting and destroying everything. By the beginning of the second year, the dog calmed down and began to obey and learn commands. We were happy together. At night, the dog used to come to me and lay his head next to mine. It was beautiful. Then something changed. One night, the dog was whining at the door, so I went out with him. The grass was wet, the sidewalk was muddy, and the dog got dirty. When we got back, I was wiping the dog's paw, and that's when the dog turned his head sharply and started growling, and I felt the dog's teeth bite deep into my hand. The dog was furious, and I was in shock. The dog started growling aggressively and attacking me. I was terrified and confused. Blood was coming out of my hand. I ran out of the bathroom with fear and locked the dog in there. When my boyfriend came back, he didn't understand what had happened. He said that maybe I had caught the dog's paw badly and the dog took that as a, as a risk. But I hadn't done anything unusual. That was the first time he attacked me, but not the last. 
Before that, the dog was always happy to see me. When I came home, the dog came running to greet me with a wagging tail and an enthusiastic bark. Now the dog stares at me or attacks me. I'm afraid the dog will bite my throat in my sleep one day and I'll bleed out. This story is broken up into two pieces. I'm now going to read the second piece and it is titled Thoughts Going On in the Dog's Head. I love my humans so much. We are a pack, but one human is scared of me, probably doesn't like me anymore. It happened once I got mud on my paws. Luckily, my humans will always clean me up. Well, at the time, my human was washing me, and as she was wiping my paws with a towel, I felt a sharp pain in my paw. I turned my head and was furious. A dark being was surrounding my human. It had skin with spikes, eyes and teeth that were blacker than the darkness. The tongue was long and bloody red. It wrapped its hands around my human's arm and I bit down to scare the creature away from my human. I attacked it, but I bit my human instead. To this day, I protect my human from the dark being, but my human is more and more afraid of me because of it. I try to explain that I am protecting her, but she, she does not understand me. All she hears is barking. Wow. Thank you, Dark Winchester, for that wonderful story. I love that. I am a dog owner, and uh, recently I've been getting really into like ghost hunting shows and stuff, so I feel like this... Uh this is a perfectly timed story for for me to read it wow okay if you ever write another one up maybe you have written one about uh yeah in the eyes of a dog seeing ghosts that is such a great concept if yeah send me more if you write more send me more if you like that story by dark winchester please join his subreddit called own horror stories to read more of his work he has quite a few stories on there this next fiction piece is titled, Trick or Treat. Sally Elliott was 15 years old the first year she chose not to go trick-or-treating. She decided she was too old for the tradition now, and that's how she found herself home alone on Halloween night. Her father Bill was working nights, and her mother Shelley picked up Sally's little sister Dawn after school to get dressed up and ready for the night at Dawn's friend's house before the town's annual Halloween pizza party and hot apple cider event, which also included the pumpkin carving contest, after Shelly and Dawn would head out trick-or-treating and then go visit their grandmother. But not Sally. Not this year, as she felt she had outgrown the costumes and hanging out with Dawn and her mother. Sally would stay home this year and watch horror movies and hand out candy if anyone were to make the trek out to their farmhouse in the country. They didn't typically get many trick-or-treaters, only the lucky few who could convince their parents to drive them around to the country homes that hand out full-size chocolate bars. By 9 o'clock, Sally had only handed out five candy bars. After nine, she shut off the porch light and debated whether or not to leave the candy bowl and sign on the scarecrow, but decided no other children would come by, and she wanted to indulge. After all, turning off the light is a signal to all seasoned trick-or-treaters not to knock looking for candy. She paused for a moment to look for any cars coming down the road, filled with possible candy collectors, but the roads were desolate. Sally had seen First hand, what tricks are played on homes that run out of treats. After all, the name of the game is trick or treat. Last year, she drove past a house with a porch light off 
it was getting egged by a bunch of teenagers in costumes. She assessed that option as well, but ultimately decided they lived too far away from town and all the kids were done for the year. She wanted all the candy for herself. She sat down on the couch with the candy bowl in her lap and was in a chocolate and slasher movie trance. She could never understand how Michael Myers always seemed to catch his victims, even though he never ran. But hey, these are the classics, she thought. It was typical Halloween weather that year. Cold, windy, and drizzling rain. Every leaf had changed and eventually a myriad of crunchy, burnt orange and yellow debris had fallen to the ground. To Sally, the trees now looked like a skeletal version of their summer selves. Long, eerie branches swayed back and forth in the frigid night breeze. Sally's mother has always been a fan of Halloween, and every year, their home gets more and more decorated. Inside was covered in fake spider webs and fake spiders, plastic bats and skulls, even an oil scent diffuser that looked like a witch's cauldron bubbling. Outside the home was where all the big features were on display, including a 10-foot inflatable light-up Frankenstein's monster, all the jack-o'-lanterns they had carved together, 15 ghosts hanging from the tree branches in the front yard, making it look like they were flying around in the wind. There was last year's edition of the zombie graveyard, which included a green floodlight, styrofoam tombstones, and fake arms sticking up from piles of dirt. This year, her mother added in life-size decorations surrounding the front porch and scattered through the front yard of standing skeletons, a grim reaper holding a sickle, and the most creepy one of all, the one her mother got that day while she was at school, an evil clown with razor-sharp teeth and a menacing smile, which of course Sally's mother set up at the bottom of the stairs just off the front porch so all the trick-or-treaters had to walk past it. It was like it was watching them walk up the pathway. Not only did her mother love to decorate the home and take them out trick-or-treating, but she also loved to play tricks. Just that morning, Sally had got got by her mother when Shelly dressed up like a scarecrow and sits on the front porch. The scarecrow was made in September for the Agricultural Fair's Scarecrow Competition, in which they placed third. The family made it together using Sally's father's old blue jeans and flannel shirt stuffed with hay. Then in October, Shelly decided to use it as a decoration for the front porch and put a jack-o'-lantern on its head to make it more spooky. The plan was to place the candy bowl in the scarecrow's lap with a sign that read take one for the few children who ventured out there on Halloween. But then Sally decided she wanted to stay home and pass out candy, which meant she took the scarecrow's job. But she was confident it didn't care. After all, it doesn't have a brain, according to the Wizard of Oz movie. Sally's mother couldn't resist temptation on Halloween morning when she got into the scarecrow's clothes and stuffed it with hay. She yelled to the kids to get ready for school and she also made sure to tell Sally put a handful of candy bars in the bowl on the scarecrow in case of any early trick-or-treaters. Then she snuck out the back of the house to the front porch and got into the scarecrow's chair and placed the jack-o'-lantern on her head. She slouched down to look lifeless and she waited. Five minutes later, Sally and Dawn came out the front door with their school bags slung over their backs and a handful of candy. Sally reached over to put the candy in the bowl when all of a sudden her arm was grabbed by the scarecrow. Sally screamed, Dawn ran inside and slammed the door and Shelly laughed hysterically hysterically as she pulled the jack-o'-lantern off her head. Sally realized her mother had tricked her. 
Mom, you look like an idiot with that pumpkin on your head, Sally shouted at her mother. But Shelly, she was too busy laughing and taking off the scarecrow disguise to, to respond. Just then the school bus pulled up and both girls were off to school for the day. Halloween fell on a Friday this year, which meant no school tomorrow, which is why Sally's mother and sister were still at their grandmother's house this late, and Sally was free to watch horror movies as late as she wanted. 9.05, the doorbell rang. Sally looked at the door, then back down at the candy bowl in her lap. She thought to herself, ugh, if the light's off, it means don't ding dong. But she got up anyways and opened the door. She expected to see children dressed up and greeting her with a chirpy trick-or-treat, but instead she was met with a cold wind and a dark night. No one was there. She stepped out to look around, but only saw the decorations lit by the green floodlight, illuminating the zombie graveyard. The clown was now turned facing the door, and the scarecrow's jack-o'-lantern head had fallen off and lay broken in the middle of the front porch. Sally got the creeps and closed the door, locking it behind her. She assumed the wind must have been picking up and messing with the decorations, or maybe some teenagers were messing with houses while out driving around. Last year, their mailbox had fallen victim to teens on Devil's Night, which also seemed to be a tradition in their town. She went and sat back down on the couch, and her butt barely hit the cushion when the doorbell started to ring frantically. She shot up and stood frozen for a moment. Sally told herself it was just older kids playing a prank on her until she heard the voice coming from the other side of the door. She recognized the voice because it was hers. At first, it was almost a whimpering whisper, so she listened closely. Then the whisper turned into an angry scream and said, Mom, you look like an idiot with that pumpkin on your head, followed by crying, which led into giddy, uncontrollable laughter. Her laugh. Sally stood on the other side of the door, shocked into paralysis. She couldn't understand what was happening, and there was no way she was going to open the door now. Instead, she called her mother's cell phone. Her mother answered, and Sally told her to come home now. Her mother asked her what was wrong. When Sally explained the doorbell and the voice coming from outside, her mother just laughed and told her, it's probably just kids messing around. Sally insisted her mother come home, but her mother told her they were making candied apples and if she was scared to call her father as he could be there within 10 minutes to scare off the teens. Sally argued saying she doesn't think that it's teens. She can hear her own voice saying things she had said earlier that day. Sally's mother then sounded worried as she could hear the terror in Sally's voice. Her mother told her to hang up and call her father right now. Sally said she would, and they hung up. Before Sally could dial her father's number, the laughing started again from the other side of the door. It was her laugh. There was no doubt about that, but it sounded deranged and evil. (laughs) Sally ran into the living room and crouched down in a chair facing the front door as she called her father. Hello, Officer Bill Elliott here, her father answered. Dad, it's me. I'm really scared. Someone is outside. Can you come home now? Sally cried into the phone, her voice now full of panic. He responds, I can be there in 10 minutes. Make sure all the doors are locked. I'm on my way. Stay on the phone with me. Don't hang up. 
Through the phone, Sally can hear her father has engaged the police car sirens and she is starting to feel stupid for calling her father. But then loud, aggressive bangs start raining down on the front door as though the hinges will break at any moment. Go hide, her father demands. Sally runs into her parents' bedroom and shuffles herself under the bed, the banging getting louder and louder. In her frightened state on impulse, she screamed, go away. She immediately clasps her hands over her mouth as if to try to shove the words back in. To her surprise, the banging stopped. Everything felt eerily silent for a moment. Sally shivered with fear. Then the silence was broken by the voice from outside the door mimicking her in her own voice, saying, go away, followed by whimpering the deep, long, slow, scratching sounds as if the door was being clawed apart from the outside. Sally lost her breath for a moment and realized she had been holding it in and let out a gasp. She had dropped the phone and scrambled to retrieve it. And when she does, she asks her father how far away he is, but the phone is quiet. She repeats her question, and the answer she gets back is not in her father's voice. It's her voice, and the words slither through the phone like snakes. Trick or treat. It was more of a question than a greeting. Sally tosses the phone away from her as if it's made of spiders. She had been holding on to the hope her father would arrive at any moment to save her from whatever was lurking outside, but now all she felt was more fear. She peeks out from under the bed, and as she does, all the lights go out in the home. She is now hiding in a completely dark home, and she can't see anything. She starts to hear faint, slow footsteps, but not from inside the home. No, they are coming from the roof. They are getting louder and louder and drag with every step until the footsteps stop right over her. She holds her breath as to try to make herself invisible. The front door swings wide open and the wind from outside floods the house like a hurricane. Sally can hear loose papers being blown around. Her eyes are wide and she has a sudden urge to run out of the house through the back door, not knowing what's inside the home. She emerges from her hiding spot and races towards the back door, when the front door slams shut and all the lights turn back on. She looks around frantically, but sees nobody's there. The doorknob turns slowly, and Sally is ready to run. She stares at the door with bated breath, but this time, her mother comes through the front door with Dawn. Shelly looks around and sees the home a mess. Sally runs over and hugs her mother for dear life, crying. Her mother is confused and a bit angry about the state of the home and asks Sally, what the hell has happened? Sally says, I told you to come home, mom. I was really scared. Someone was outside and they got the door open, but I was hiding. Then I don't know. I, I was going to run. Her mother sounds horrified and screams, why didn't you call me? Sally responds, I did, mom. You told me to call dad. Shelly looks at Sally concerned and says, 
you never called me. Yes, I did. You said you were making candied apples. Sally's mother is confused and worried and argues with Sally. She hasn't talked to her since this morning, then asks, did you call your father? Sally looks around for the phone, picks it up and shows her mother the call log in an effort to show her she did. But when Sally's mother looks at the last numbers dialed, it only reads 666. Shelly is starting to think that Sally is trying to play a trick on her, and Sally knows what her mother is thinking. Sally promises she isn't lying. She tells her mother about the doorbell and scratching sounds and the smashed jack-o'-lantern head and the clown decoration being moved as proof someone was out there. Someone had to do these things. Sally's mother says, what clown decoration? Sally says, the one you bought today with the sharp teeth and evil smile. Sally's mother shakes her head as if to say no. Shelly tells Sally she never bought a clown decoration and the door isn't scratched and the jack-o'-lantern is on the scarecrow's head, not broken. Sally has had enough at this point and opens the door to show her mother the life-size evil clown. But when she opens the door, the clown is gone. In its place is a butcher's knife from their kitchen, stabbed into the dirt. Sally's mother walks over to the knife and discovers it's holding down a note. When she reads it, her face strains of blood. Sally runs over to read the words, trick or treat. Ooh, I hope everyone enjoyed that spooky story. Uh, that story is by Lauren Lucio. Hey, that's me. That was my Halloween short story. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I hope everyone enjoyed all of these spooky stories. Uh, I hope it gets you into the Halloween spirit or spirits. Ooh. <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. I would love to do more of these. So if you have any spooky stories or maybe some true paranormal stories or just true scary stories involving the dead or the undead, please let me know. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted their stories. I really, really did enjoy uh, reading all of the stories. Please head on over to Hell No, a true crime podcast on Instagram for notifications about recent episodes. Please rate, follow, and review the pod on whatever platform you are streaming from. And if you have any stories you would like to submit, again, please do so at hellnopodcast at outlook.com, all one word, hellnopodcast at outlook.com. As I plan on doing this again. Uh, not sure when, but someday that's when. So thanks for listening. Have an amazing Halloween. Um, tag me in all of your costumes if you want on Instagram. No, can you tag on, can you, why would you tag me in your costume on Instagram? That doesn't make any sense. Can you maybe at Hell No True Crime Podcast in your posts on Instagram if you dress up for Halloween and post a picture? I would love to see them. Uh, so two spooky stories, I say hell yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.